This is the Sound of Foghorn Podcast. Fiala intercepts again, trying to find the handle on it. He does, he scores! What a play by Fiala! Your number one podcast for the Minnesota Wild. Now I'm proud to select with the ninth pick in the 2020 draft from the Ottawa 67s of the OHL, Marco Rossi. Covering their prospects, the NHL, AHL, news, advanced stats, and much more. Sets up Molino, back to Boldy, shoots, and scores! The BC Kid returns home and scores his first. Goes to work for the Wild, centers one, Erickson Eck with a shot, he scores! Jewel Erickson Eck, he's the hero. Poked away Kaprizov, in for a chance to win it, he scores! And now, here are your hosts, Brett Marshall, Zeke Boyat, and Justin Bach. Hello and welcome in to another episode of Sound the Foghorn, Wednesday, April 6th. Brett Marshall, Zeke Boyat, and Justin Baki back with you tonight. The Wild have a rare two days off uh, tonight and tomorrow before a huge game against the Blues on Friday. Uh, since we last recorded, I believe they've played four times again, so we'll get into those game breakdowns, get some thoughts on those. We'll talk Kirill Kaprizov today. We'll talk a little Alex Goligoski today, among a few other topics. But before we get into all that, we got to check in with the fellas, see how they're doing. Zeke, you missed the game last night because you're at the script concert, so we got to know. You know, obviously the Wild didn't win, so a little more worth it to go. But how how was the show last night, and how are you doing today? Yeah, no, I'm doing pretty good today. I was, uh, you know, expected when you're concert like that, getting music blasted at you. You know, I didn't wasn't asleep for a while, so I've been kind of <laughs> a little sleepy today, but. And doing good. It was a fun time, you know, especially in the, you know, in the smaller building like that. When you go to a show, it's pretty fun when, you know, there's only about 1,500 people probably in there. It's, you know, really loud and it was, it was a blast. I think it was the third time I've seen them in about the last 10 years. So, uh, you know, they were really good again, like usual. And uh, so it was a good time. And, you know, the other thing that I did happen this week, we finally found orange bubbly at Target. Ooh. It's the only flavor that I can never find that it's always sold <laughs> out. And I'm very happy. So I'm, you know, I've had three of these today, but it's better than better than having coffee, that's for sure. Yeah, it's just yeah. carbonated water, so can't beat that. Uh, <laughs> Justin, what about you? Also had a show last night and missed the game, but no big deal. Um, how was the show, and how are you doing tonight? Good. I went and saw Grandson. <clears throat> I'd heard of them, but never really heard their music a whole lot. But went uh, with a few buddies that I haven't seen in a while. Uh, it was really good to go to a concert again. It's been years. I used to go to a ton, but... Ever since uh, you know, moving to Tennessee and then coming back and having kids, it's kind of few and far between. So uh, it, was, it was good to get back and, and see a concert again. It was, it was a blast. Yeah, I always forget that people don't re- religiously go to concerts like I do. Um, <laughs> it probably helped that growing up I listened to a lot of the same music as my parents. So like, there was like four or five bands that every time they came to town, my parents would just right. buy me tickets and we'd go. Um it's I don't really listen to a lot of these groups anymore, but my first ever concert when I was in like I think it was like fourth grade was Nickelback, which oh, fourth grade or Nickelback concert was an experience, um, to say the <laughs> least. Uh, Chad Kruger is not kid friendly. Um, some pretty Ooh, crude no, jokes, no. uncensored music, of course. But you know, for they get a lot of hate. But if you're lying, if in the early two thousands you say you didn't enjoy listening to Nickelback, if that's changed now, I get it. They're not my favorite anymore, but still don't mind it on occasion. But yeah, like just uh, so to hear like you're like, oh yeah, like my first concert like, ten to fifteen years. I'm like, man, is that what I'm gonna lose when when I get in a relationship and have kids one day? Because dang, that oh, stinks. That, uh. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, maybe not necessarily, but uh, I think part of it was just I was gone for so long, yeah. and, and just and of course I had friends in Tennessee, but it wasn't like my buddies were like we're all the same, like music, right. just <clears throat> always going to a concert. It kind of went wayside for a while. Yeah. I think my next one's end of end of May, so I still got a little bit before my next one. But Sweet. Um, this isn't a concert podcast; it's a hockey podcast. Um, 
I guess we can start as we always do with the prospect update, Justin, which means uh, it's, it's, you're up. You got the mic. Uh, what's up with the prospects? All right, let's go. Uh, kind of every week we're going to have less and less probably from here on out, but uh, still a few things going on. Uh, the SHL playoffs and KHL playoffs are going on right now. Uh, Jesper Wallstead's team won today. They're up 2-1 to one in the series. He hasn't gotten a start yet, but he did have that injury, so I kind of wonder if you know they're kind of run, run, riding the hot hand in Lazanati right now. Um, you want to see him get starts, but uh, can't can really control that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then uh, KHL playoffs are going on. SKA and CSKA are playing each other, which is uh, who's Nadinov's team, and then Svetlakov and Guskov's team, and CSKA won today, so they're up two to one in the series. Uh, I think Svetlakov has a couple assists in the series, and that's kind of about it right now. Pavel Novak had a good week. He's got uh, five points two, in two games, and he's kind of he's kind of been outside of Iowa and Minnesota, like the rookies and the young guns there. He's kind of this prospect I'm most curious about, most excited about. Kind of hoping to see him sign an entry level contract after their season ends because he's uh, out of all our prospects right now, he's got the most points. He's touching almost 20 years old, but uh, 67 points on the season. And I mean, just having a good year in Kelowna. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, I think I did. I think it was a wild farm part tweeted that, you know, they have to sign up at the summer and that mm-hmm. uh, even if they do, he can go back to the WHL. So like I said, right. that'd be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, uh, I, don't, I don't see a harm in it. So. Uh, right. Definitely a yeah. guy I think we've collectively been higher on, and it's great to see him kind of continue to almost like kind of the engine that drives mm-hmm. that Kelowna team. The offense right. seems to kind of run through him, which is which is cool to see. Yeah, another nice thing about him is he's kind of genuinely generally been a wing, but he's been taking yeah. quite a few draws this year, so maybe he's kind of picking up that center spot too, which could be valuable in the future. Kind of a, a combination player. Yeah. Uh, Ryan O'Rourke was back from his suspension. He was suspended for a couple games for slew footing someone. If you haven't seen it, it's uh, <laughs> on the Young Guns page in, in one of the comments. <clears throat> but uh, he came back and had a couple assists the other night and 40 points to 47 games. He's kind of one of those guys that plays rough, plays on the line. He's been suspended a couple times this year. So, you know, you want those gritty players, but you kind of want them to shore up the suspensions. <laughs> Yeah, because as we uh, as we learned last night's game, being on the penalty kill is not your best friend. No, it's not, especially <laughs> when your penalty kill is sketch. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Um, another thing, uh, last night Iowa won six to one. They beat uh, the Arizona Coyotes uh, farm league team. Uh, we got a hat trick from Kyle Rao. Rossi got a goal and an assist. A uh, bunch of guys had. A, good amount of points, but uh, it's kind of worth noting. Marco Rossi is three points from breaking the Iowa Wild points record. He sits at 48 now. The record's 50. Who uh, Justin Kloos is who holds that. I'm not talking about like the before when it was Houston Arrows and stuff like that, but just kind of keep track of the Iowa. What's that going to be nowadays, I wonder? Right. <laughs> <laughs> who knows? <laughs> Could look it up on Elite Prospects. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then Mitchell Shafey, he had a good game. He's got nine points in his last five games. I think for the last five games, he's got two or more points. So he's really, really on fire and, and good to see. Yeah, and then the last thing I have to report on, uh, the Liga playoffs are going on. Simon Hansen had the secondary assist on the game-winning goal today. If you go to the prospects page, it was pretty nice play. He was basically made a really good defensive play, and it led straight to the goal. And, uh, he got the secondary assist off that defensive play, so awesome to see another player. I'm genu- generally interested in, in to see what happens after that season ends because, I mean, he's signed through next year there, but he can always, you know, he's kind of loaned over there, so he can come over, sign an NHL contract, and come over to Iowa, hopefully, or stay over there or whatever, but kind of a player I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. He's a right-shot defenseman who's had a really good offensive year and played a couple nice couple defensive plays. Yeah, and then uh, so I, I pulled up Justin Kloos's, um Elite Prospects page. He's currently playing for Lexins IF in the SHL, speaking of the SHL. Okay. And when he did break the rookie quote-unquote record, right. um, it was after, <laughs> looks like, basically f- 
three years of high school, a year in the USHL, four years of college at the University of Minnesota, and then it was technic. And then he went on to play nine games at the end of his senior season in Iowa, won an NHL game, and then proceeded to break the Iowa Wild record. Gotcha. So I think at the time that would put him at probably age like. 23 24 and we're talking about marco rossi who is right. 20 so yeah. already like the magnitude of his uh yeah of his performance is, is quite good so um great to see rossi thriving um he will get a new line mate tonight they have thrown vladislav first off on the line with marco rossi so a couple of the young guns there on the second line um adam beckman now has nick sweeney on his opposite wing so some support there and uh kaylin addison has been uh, Move to the third pair, not the Minnesota Wild third pair, the Iowa Wild third pair. So something to monitor there. Um, are they perhaps managing some reps in anticipation of a call-up, maybe seeing how Johnny Merrill's feeling Friday? Mm-hmm. Or are we literally going to have to see Jordy Ben play a hockey game against a division rival? <laughs> right. uh, we will find out. Uh, it doesn't sound like the diagnosis of Matt nice. Dumba is great. Uh, we'll get to that more in a minute. But um, before we get into NHL talk, I did want to bring this up because we – Forgot to bring it up last week, which shame on us. Um, the Minnesota Whitecaps season came to a close huh. um, during the uh, the Isabel Cup playoffs last week. They ended up losing to um, it's the Boston Pride, I believe in the semifinals. Um, yeah. Did did win their uh, their basically their playing game essentially um, as the lower seed as a five seed went on to lose in the semifinals, um, but really started to turn it on. Seemed to figure things out there toward the end of the year. Uh, but congrats to them on a great season. We had Sam on lots um, throughout the year. Um, just haven't had the schedules to have her back on as of late. But um, definitely seem to find the chemistry and things toward the end of the year. And, um, you know, we obviously we've talked about how the the uh, the PHF should continue to grow. Two expansion teams likely in the works. All the incentives coming into the mix next year. Um, and the NHL has also proposed bringing – um, the two women's organizations together to try to find find a common ground to create a, a league that would include all the best players in the world, so all the Olympians, the PHF players, which would certainly be great as well. So we'll continue to monitor mm-hmm. how those discussions go as well, but I'll be remiss if we didn't wish a big congrats to our friends at the Minnesota Whitecaps on a great season. Um, other non-wild hockey news, uh, NCAA Frozen Four kicks off this weekend. Uh, obviously the big game to watch will be tomorrow night. 7.30, the University of Minnesota Golden Gophers against my Minnesota State University Mankato Mavericks. I believe the game's on ESPNU, um, which sucks for I know a lot of people don't have that channel, so find your streaming sites. I'm sure there'll be ways to watch that game. Oh, yeah. Um, implications here, um, obviously the Wild, one of the, as we talked about last week, one of the teams hot in on Gopher Captain Ben Myers, so should... Um, the Gophers lose last night. He'd be eligible to sign. Um, if the Gophers continue to win, that will be pushed out, I believe, no later than Saturday, I believe, is when the championship uh-huh, game yeah. is. Yeah. Um, so that's the big marquee matchup, uh, Michigan and Denver, early in the day, 4.30, the other game. So those are the, the matchups tomorrow. Um, <clears throat> as unbiasedly as possible, gentlemen, who who do you like from each game? Who do you have winning it all? Um yeah, just give us some thoughts on the Frozen Four here quick. <clears throat> well, for me, I'm all in on the Mankato train. Um, man, they're, they're a couple tough matchups, so it really could either go either way with both of them. I just mm-hmm. I feel like Mankato, they were there last year. They're going to be hungry. They're going to want to make the championship game, and I think they'll redeem themselves from last year. On the other side, Denver and Michigan, that's so tough. Michigan's got all those first-round picks, and they're stacked. Denver is like one of the, the top scoring team in the nation. That's just, I, it's hard for me to pick that one, but I'm going to go with my NCHC bias a little bit and pick Denver. I'm going to go Denver and uh, Mankato. Mankato takes it on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, kind of similar, but I mean, Hey, I just, uh, I'd like, you know, personally, I mean, not that I don't really care too much, but I guess either Minnesota team winning would be fine with me. Uh, you know, I guess, I guess I'm indifferent either way. It's not like there's a North Dakota or Wisconsin or something in there where I would be uh, inclined to root against. But I don't know. I feel kind of this year I've always been kind of on, uh, been you know hoping maybe for the golfers to win. Obviously with you know the uh, tragic circumstances that the head coach Bob Motzko has been dealing with the last year. You know, you kind of 
maybe that's a little that's a little part of it that you wanted them see them win for him and just uh, have that moment. And I, you know, I think it's kind of cool that they're, you know, finally having they've gotten this far. And it's been I think I think they read like eight years, and since they've really been, you know, actually a great team, it's been a long time. So, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing them win, but uh, you know, I, as long as it's uh, entertaining hockey and if somebody from with Minnesota in their name comes out on top, I'll be uh, just fine with that. Yeah, I mean, I think for me that this is going to be, I mean, it's, I'm going to speak biasly because I can because my college yeah, is in yeah. it. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I really think, you know, if, if there was ever a time for Dryden McKay to prove that he's been worth the hype of Richter, of, of three straight years of Richter conversation, this year being a Hobie Baker finalist, I think this is the, this is the chance for him. And we saw him shut out uh, Notre Dame in the round of eight. Um, you know, he gave up three against, um, in, in the opening round there, but, um, I mean, he had a stretch this year where I think like his, um, his goals against looked like computer code. It was like zero, zero, one, zero, one, one, zero. Like, I think this is the chance to show that that's not just Mavericks playing easy schedules because he is a good goalie. Um, and he's at the point too, where I think, you know, if he wants to play pro hockey, he's got to show up in one of these big situations, uh-huh. prove he can be the... Be, be the answer here. Um, the Mavericks, I think, are a deeper team up front. Gophers probably a little bit deeper team on the back, so that'll be an interesting matchup there with, with the Gopher offense against the Maverick defense. Um, I believe the Mavericks have won eight of the last nine against the Gophers, including a, I believe it was a 4 nothing shutout win in the round of eight last year. Um, so definitely the pressure on the bigger name, I think, with with the Gophers, but I like the Mavericks there. And then, I, Justin, I'm with you. I think I'm going to go with Denver um, in that other game just for the sheer, the sheer fact that um, I think Michigan is feeling pressure. Um, coming in as number one overall seed, it's an incredibly young team. You know, with we've already talked about four of the f- five top players drafted last year all on this Michigan team. Like, I think there's a lot of pressure. And, you know, we like to think that kids are equipped to handle pressure, but it can be so tough in these big moments for 19-year-olds to keep their composure um, we've seen it how many times with top seeds, you know, bowing out in the first rounds and stuff. I think Denver's just that team built for a little bit with a little bit more experience. Um, but I think both games should be really exciting. I think the uh, the Denver Michigan game is maybe a chance to be a little bit more of a shootout, where the the Mankato uh, Gopher game maybe should be a little bit tighter defensively, maybe right. a little bit lower scoring. Yeah. But um, looking forward to the games. They sh- they should be great. Um, and Zeke, like you said, sure. I think you know even if my Mavericks do lose. Um, you know, I'll, I'll be upset, but you know, if if my Mavericks bow out, I'd want it to be to a Minnesota team and not to somebody else. So, um, we're Team Minnesota, not Gophers, just Team Minnesota here on the pod. Um, <laughs> as long as it's not Denver or Michigan, we will be happy, um, extra happy if it ends up being my Mavericks. Um, but yeah, so that's where we're at with that. So let's get in now uh, to our Minnesota Wild here. So. Uh, Continued the pretty good stretch of play. Uh, lost the game last night. We can do that last. We'll go in order here. Yeah. Um, let's see. Philadelphia we talked about. So the, the game after our podcast last week would have been uh, Pittsburgh. The Wild ultimately uh, do lose that one. One of their f- Ended their winning streak. Um, but it took overtime again. 3-4. Um, Pittsburgh comes out on top. Um, of course, guess who scored? Kirill Kaprizov scored again because that was the month of March, and that's all he did in the month of March. Matt Dumba gets on the board um, in that game as well. And then uh, Freddie Goudreau managed to find the back of the net in that game as well. So um, a, a, cl- a close game start to finish. Uh, felt like the Wild maybe were the better team at times, um, but ultimately just you know, late in overtime, Pittsburgh's able to battle and, and just kind of edge out the Wild. It was what was a great game. Um, and the return of Jason Zucker to Minnesota as well. Yeah, I kind of thought that what kind of killed us in the beginning was all the penalties we took. I mean, both teams had quite a bit of penalties, but I felt like that kind of killed our mojo in the beginning. I mean, they they got that uh, power play goal from Gensel to take the 2-1 lead, and then uh, 3-1 from there. I mean, it it was nice to see us come back, though, and and get a point out of that game. Uh, Yeah, the other thing I'll say is, I don't know how much more he could have done, but I was kind of frustrated with that overtime goal because it was like uh, Kulikov seemed like he was just puck watching there. And yep, he had kind of a ways to go, but still, it was like he almost froze, and yeah. and Malkin just kind of batted it in. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that was Russian respect or what, but right, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, you can't uh, you can't give any player four shots to the side of the net, even if it's a uh, Malkin. But yeah, I mean, I thought 
it was an okay game. It obviously didn't start, uh, you know, maybe as well as you would have wanted. But I think, uh, you know, obviously they, they uh, it, it was good. They showed their, you know, typical trademark resiliency after getting a Jordan Greenway's goal that had three two waved off. Freddie Udrow scored right after that, and obviously I think, you know, from what I remember, it seemed I think that was the might have been the game that Matt Bolte got hurt and was taking shifts off and I didn't play a part of the game or whatnot. So I think, I feel like I remember they double shifted Kaprizov and Zuccarello a lot and he was skating with some of the guys in the fourth line a few times too. So I think maybe the team, I think in that game, I think maybe they were just, they looked maybe a little bit tired towards the end of the game in an overtime. I mean, you know, the overtime went a good three and a half minutes, but I mean, like, as you said, Justin, with Kulikov as one example, they just, you know, especially once they got there, I mean, you had to, First off, I think Kaprizov got the puck and he tried a Hail Mary pass through two guys to act that went nowhere and was turned over and stuff like that. So it just seemed like, you know, the you know, it was kind of end of a you know, the home stretch there, even though they had a couple of days off, just didn't mm-hmm. seem like they fully had it. But I mean, you know, like as we said before, that was you know, he still got a point, so that you know, it wasn't a huge big of a deal. But I I mean I do think also that even besides the four goals, I still thought that uh, Cam Talbot was also still uh, pretty solid in that game, especially late in the third. He made a couple saves, even on Jake Gensel a couple times there in the last five minutes that kept them in that. So, uh, I mean, that was just more of the same. But, I mean, overall, it was it was a pretty – it was an even game, more back and forth, usually. Yeah, absolutely was. And, um, you know, it's always good to get that point as well. We know all those points matter. Um, and really took, you know, a lot of momentum over to the next game – um, against the uh, Carolina Hurricanes, where they again came out on top against a really good team, three to one in this one. Um, wasn't a great game by any means at five on five, but if I do recall, I think the uh, basically the top line just kind of led the way in that one. Goals from Kaprizov and Zuccarello, and then uh, I'm trying to remember who added the third one. Uh, Kulikov. Kulikov, yeah, gets the third one, but basically just that top line just kind of hemmed him in in the wild. Um, you know, didn't maybe generate the most offense in the game, but kept Carolina to the outside for much of the game, let the goalie see the puck, um, you know, allowed a lot of shots, but not a lot of quality shots. And in the end, it ended up being the formula that worked for them. Um, And especially, you know, going into a back-to-back, it was important to just kind of, they were, I think they're rolling four lines, kind of managing reps. And we can talk in a minute about how that ended up being uh, a good thing when it came to, to playing Washington the next night. I felt like even though they had a lot of shots, even when they had good shots, Marc-Andre Fleury was um, on point that night, and it was just seemed like one of those games that were destined to win. Um, another thing that I noticed was, yeah, Carolina killed us on face-offs, but uh, we won special teams, hit them, out-blocked them. Our, the blocks were 17-7 to us, and then giveaways were 16-6 to them, which – kind of shows you how how well we played defensively against them in my opinion so um yeah just uh all around uh good win one of those teams again you want a, a beat that'll give you confidence and and help you continue to roll yeah i think obviously it was uh you know it was good to get out to that that lead early like they've kind of done in some of those aside from in nashville last night to kind of get out get out in front of the lead and then you know kind of maybe not sit back but maybe more focus on just playing really good. And I think, you know, like Brett, you mentioned the second period there, obviously Mark Andre Fleury had to make several great stops moving across on one timers uh, in tight and was very good in that last half there to keep Carolina from, you know, cutting into that lead. And I think that obviously that was probably the key of the game because if they get one there and get back within one going to third, you know, who knows what happens. And, but I think at the same time, aside from that 10 minute stretch, I thought, and we've seen this, you know, aside from last night, we saw it in Washington, Carolina, that, you know, how good defensively the Wild are playing, you know, the, as they say on TV all the time, you know, the great sticks getting in, in, in a lot of shooting lanes, especially in the third period. I mean, Carolina did eventually score on a really nice play from Taravine and Ajo, which is, you know, there's not much you can do on that. But I thought in that game, even though, you know, they didn't play fantastically for, you know, most second period, I thought, you know, when uh, it got down to the third period and a large parts of the games, for the most part, they, they get, they, it wasn't, uh, you know, you look at the shots, 38-19, you would have thought, you know, that they the controlled. And while Carolina maybe was a better team, I thought they also still did a pretty good job overall of, you know, not giving up, aside from that maybe 10-minute stretch there, not, to, you know, allowing the other team to just run and gun and get great A chances all over the place. 
Yep, absolutely. And uh, it was important to to be good in that game because you know when the grind continued with a back to back the next night, less than twenty four hours later, uh, they're on the road in Washington, and uh, this game was all about the Grief Squad. Um, two goals for Eric Sinek, three assists for Jordan Greenaway, a goal and assist for Marcus Foligno, uh, a 55.7 uh, expected goal share, and what ended up being a 5-1 to one Minnesota Wild win. Um, Cam Talbot, good in this one. Um, you know, not a lot of chances against, but has a has a goal saved over expected, continues his hot streak. Um, for the most part, 5-on-5, five five, Wild played well, all four lines, except for the fourth line. Um, with with a positive expected goal share in the fourth line, just .08 expected goals against to their .03. So it wasn't like they were liable by any means. And uh, Nick Bukestad and Nick Deloria even hooked up for a goal um, in that game as well. Um, and just, you know, overall, just another good game. Tyson Jost gets his first with the Wild, and it was also uh, a, a franchise record night in which we saw um, Marcus Foligno and Jewel Erickson Eck pot their 20th of the season, a career high for Erickson Eck. Um, Marcus Lino continues to build his career high and a wild franchise record now with six 20-goal scorers on the year. And uh, Erickson Eck, Greenway, Kaprizov, Hartman, Zuccarello, and Fiala. Um, so just pretty cool to see that hashtag depth continue to be on display. And it's just it's always fun um, watching games when the Grief Squad just dominates because it just mm-hmm. seems like you're watching that line just hemming teams in for a minute to minute and a half in their own zone. and. Um, mm-hmm. It's fun to watch that line when when they're on yeah. their game. Yeah, well, especially the other shift when X scored a second goal to make it three nothing. Red doorstep. I mean, I think I so the group chat. You know, Greenway just. I think he just completely uh, shoved John Carlson out of the way and cycled behind the net, like you mentioned, like they do so often. And you know, that's you know when we talk about physicality playing, that's what we mean. But when they play well physically, that's how they do it. When it's just constant forecheck, uh, you know, just. Uh, constantly moving and, and moving the puck really well. And I think obviously, again, that was another game that, like I mentioned in Carolina, where I think getting out two nothing a minute and a half. And obviously if you score two and a half, two goals in a minute and a half, first of the game, it's great either way. But I think, you know, the question was coming into the game was obviously, you know, wild played last night, less than 24 hours before Washington hasn't played in five or six days. You know, a lot of times you would think the team who hasn't played would have more jump, but it seemed to be more of the opposite in that, you know, Washington had, you know, some rust or just didn't really have it because for, I mean, large parts of the game, and I know they had, after the Wild went up 2 nothing, Camp Talbot had to make a few nice saves. But, I mean, you know, other than that, uh, like, you know, as Brett mentioned, the grief line was a huge part of that. And, um, you know, I'm trying to think. But, I, you know, it was just a – really, I don't think – I'm trying to remember. I mean, I know they did score the power play goal. It just seemed like Washington uh, never really got anything going, like, offensively. I mean, at even strength, especially it just uh, – I mean, I think part of that's obviously the Wild were really good defensively like they had been, but for whatever reason, they just, uh, it wasn't, you know, there wasn't a lot of penalties either. You know, there was a couple too many men. It just, uh, it's kind of a tame game from what I remember. Yep, yeah, definitely looked like a team that was trying to suffocate someone on the, on the tail of a back-to-back, but did it did it to, to perfection. All right. Yeah. I thought it was huge to score those two goals right away in the first, like, minute and a half and up 2 nothing. then. Yep. Uh, you know, Ovechkin has like 14 goals in 15 games against us in his career, and to, to be able to basically frustrate him and stifle him and, and keep him off the score sheet up until halfway through the third when he ended up getting the assist on that goal. But uh, taking him out of the game and taking those stars out of the game was, was awesome to see. And then another one of those games where giveaways were 13-2 to two in, you know, in our favor. Mm-hmm. And, and one of those games that they couldn't really get anything going and it was just all around fun game to watch. Yeah. yeah. I mean, anytime the big ta- you, anytime. Oh, sorry. No, I was gonna say the Go big ahead. takeaway for me was just, you know, you look at the top line, never really got anything going all night, but yeah, you didn't even really true. notice because just how the grief squad was motoring. Like I wouldn't say Kirill Kaprizov necessarily played a bad game, but it was probably one of the most boring games we've seen Kirill Kaprizov play in a long time. Yeah. I don't think he had a shot on goal in the game, which for him, uh, super rare, of yeah, course, you know, a, a guy that's chasing 50 goals at this point um, to not have a shot on goal. Like, Washington did a great job of kind of taking him out of it. But, again, we, we just look at, you know, yep, they took Kirill Kaprizov out of it but couldn't stop the grief line. And, um, you know, Washington just didn't have the depth to, to, to match with the Wild. We're bringing at him with that, with that third line. Yeah, I think I think it's a good point. I think they did that top line. They had a few shifts where they were moving the puck in the offensive zone a little bit. But I, I think, you know, as you mentioned, it was a lot of it was on the perimeter. And obviously, they didn't get really any shots. But 
I mean, I think I don't think Fiala had a shot on single shot on goal that entire game either. So, like you said, obviously, you know mm-hmm. that uh, shows as you mentioned with the depth and all that. But yeah, no, it was uh, this is just uh, just taking care of business on the road, pretty much. If a combined individual expected goals for Kaprizov and Fiala of zero, <laughs> yeah, and Zuccarello and five to one, yep. <laughs> with an... yeah, with, with zero individual expected goals from Zuccarello, Kaprizov, and Fiala, so. <laughs> Not every day yeah. that'll happen. Um, no. One player I do want to talk a little bit briefly about is just Jordan Greenway. Um, just he continues to play well. Just quickly looking, because it, it just feels like he's been more noticeable, um, both offensively, defensively. Um, but just looking here, he has three or more shots on goal in nine of his last 13 games, um, including mm-hmm. one, two, three, four, where he's had five or more, three of those. He has six shots on goal. Um, just like a guy that, I think we're finally kind of seeing Jordan Greenway turn into the mm-hmm. player we want to be. You know, he's he's not shying away from the middle of the ice anymore. Um, we're seeing him drive to the net more. We're seeing him hit guys more, use it physicality. Justin, you talked about how he basically just tossed uh, John Carlson. looked like Derrick Henry with a stiff arm. Just get off me. <laughs> Threw him down to the ice, and a couple minutes later, Eric's next banging home a goal on the doorstep. Like, that, that's just what that line needs to be, and it, it just feels like Jordan Greenway is really – he's found a level of confidence that we haven't seen before. Um, and it's been great to see. And just, he's been a huge part of that line success. Obviously the three assists I'm um, in that game are all primary assists too. So he's the one setting up the goals. It mm-hmm. wasn't these ho-hum secondary assists that we saw him have quite a bit of um, last year um, when he set kind of that career high in assists. So that's been, that's been really good for me to see as well. Just kind of his continued emergence and just seemingly continue to build confidence and, and working towards what should be a really effective style of playoff hockey too. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's kind of one thing that we always want from him. In the past, we like sometimes we feel like he just plays too soft for how big he is, and and he should use his body to the advantage. Like when he gets in the corners, at, trying to get the puck, I felt like he used to not use his body to his advantage, and now he's got guys bouncing off of him. He's throwing guys to the ice. Guys are trying to hit him and then just falling down. It's it's he's unstoppable when he's like that, and and it's great to see like kind of something kind of reminds me of Charlie Coyle, like his situation that he had with us, but like he's, he's playing the way we want him to. Yeah. I think, I mean, he's been great ever since he signed that uh, three-year contract extension. And I think a lot of times, I mean, you know, when you're a lot of fans too, and even I'm sure guys, the team, you, you know, obviously Justin, you run help prospect people kind of, in a way you get, you know, you get so hopeful for some of these guys that I mean, Mm -hmm. I I think people thought Greenway was, you know, I mean, if you, you thought he was going to probably score more than he has, but I mean, if you look at his stats, he's never scored more than eight to 10 goals a year, pretty much mm-hmm. anywhere, even in juniors. So, I mean, it, you know, obviously this thing, he's got what eight goals and 22 points. So if, you know, as you mentioned, Justin, with his physical play and all that, you know, if he plays like that all the time, you know, the offense, like with most of the guys on, on the grief line is pretty much just uh, pretty much a bonus. If they just, you know, if they bring that physical two-way play and, you know, kick the crap out of the other team. Right. For sure. Um, and then the last game of the stretch, um, which I guess I'll speak mostly to this one since you guys weren't able to watch too much yeah, of it. Yeah. Last night, 6-2 to two game, uh, lost to Nashville. Um, definitely, to me anyway, um, the score was not indicative of kind of what happened in the game. Um, a terrible first period that saw pretty bad penalties from Kevin Fiala, Kirill Kaprizov, Matt Dumba. Um, I believe it was like a slash or cross check and a late hit that put Nash on the power play three times and they scored all three times. Um, the wild found themselves in a hole pretty early. Um, and then from that point on played really well. Um, I think they had something like, I think it was like a 60 here. I can pull it up. I think it was over like a 60% expected goals share in the game. Um, last night, um, I think racked up like 4.12 throughout the whole game. The power play, I think, accounted for nearly two of that. Um, they found one on the five-on-three on Kaprizov's goal, um, but probably could have had another one. But UC Saros played just out of his mind last night. Lots of big saves. Um, you know, it's it, it was five goals against for Marc-Andre Fleury, but it didn't felt like he really played poorly. Um, you know, a couple power play, you know, there's a high tip, there's a backdoor tap-in. 
Um, a really nice shot from Matt Duchesne that I don't think too many goalies in the league are, are going to stop one that is just placed perfectly under the crossbar. So I didn't feel like it was a bad game from him, really, but just those penalties early just got him you know, playing from behind, and we talked about you know, those other games they got out to the early lead and could kind of really stick to the game plan. I felt like they were chasing from the start there and just you know, pressing a little bit, and um, I think that the reality of the situation was you just got to stay out of the box. I mean, this, this penalty kill has been volatile through the whole year. It's been an issue. Um, they had four fights in the game as well, uh, which was something, uh, Middleton and Felino within like minute, a minute of each other. Um, and then I put on meme out about Nick Deloria as Squidward watching SpongeBob and Patrick having fun, referring to the fighting. And then he gets in on it, uh, probably five minutes later, he's in the box and then Brandon Duhame fights later in the game. And it just like, they just felt like meaningless fights. Like it didn't seem to spark the team. Um, and then you go on the penalty kill and you have Middleton and Felino in the box who are two of your key penalty killers and it just it, it just wasn't a recipe for success and I feel like we've seen that happen a lot um when, when they've played St. Louis and they've played Nashville when they you know even when they've played Dallas you know they they these other teams kind of like sucker the wild into getting off their game early and it seems to really knock them off and I think the wild you know it's great to play tough hockey I don't think we need to fight just to sake a fight right like like let them yeah. let them push you around get frustrated don't give into it unless you absolutely have to and play your game to start because it's it's knocked them off early and we saw it kind of happen last time these two teams played as well um when Nashville kind of ran away with that one I think it was following a fight as well so that was yeah. the takeaway for me is like they just got to stay away from from the bull from the bullshit um you don't need to fight four times in the game so necessary stay out of the no. box don't take dumb penalties no. Um, I think, you know, I think if they, if they don't take those stupid penalties or if they can even kill off one of them, I think, I think that's a game that they, that they win. I think money puck had their odds and their deserved to win o meter. I think it goes over 80%, which basically means if oh, those yeah. teams played 10 See. times, wild win eight times. So it wasn't like a red flag game. Like it didn't feel like some of those swoon games, like, wow, they felt like they're running all over all night. They were chasing, they weren't shooting. Like they did a lot of really good things. I thought it just mm-hmm. ultimately the, those three early penalty, those three early power play goals against kind of killed them and they never were able to quite fully recover from it. Mm-hmm. I did think it was interesting. I saw, I think it's Nashville's beat them 10 of the last 11 meetings overall, which, I mean, obviously eight of those were before the pandemic even started. So it's kind of hard to really put my, you know, it's obviously a completely different team, but yeah, I don't know from, you know, from reading some of the Russo's article and, uh, and obviously what kind of what you said, Brett, and watch the highlights on all that. I mean, I think yeah, obviously you either want to watch, but that that's just pretty true. It's like, I don't, and I don't even know, was it from what I was reading, it didn't seem maybe as much that Nashville goaded into them as maybe, you know, like the Wild did that second game in Winnipeg, they or that one after the All-Star break where they came in with the mentality that we're going to show them that we're tough. And But, yeah, no, obviously that's, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, you, you don't, you just, you don't need to be fighting four times in a period and a half, like you said. And uh, it's just, uh, you know, yeah, uh, yes, Nashville does play them really well, obviously. I mean, I think they have one of the best power plays in the league. And Roman Yossi's having you know, uh, best points wise, at least by defenseman, one of the best seasons in, you know, 20, 30 years. So they obviously do have some talent and, and, uh, and I mean, I, I mentioned this in the group chat last night too. I think Saros has been off his game recently. So not surprising that he, you know, was cat up for a, the big divisional game, but I mean, you know, like you said, uh, still, uh, still seven points up in Nashville, still in second place in the, in the divisions. It's, uh, you know, you're, you're not, you're not going to win. Uh, they weren't going to win, go 25-0-1 then to end the year as much as we would have uh, had liked that. So, Yeah, I just <clears throat> against these Blues and Nashville teams, you want them to, mm-hmm. I guess, play smarter and harder. I feel like the Koivu night, we stuck with them, and then in the third period, kind of played like crap, looked slow. And then this game, you start off with those penalties, this kind of getting the, the smarter side of that. The last matchup was play harder. This one is play smarter. Uh, play our game and not try to fight them every second, like you guys mentioned. So, yeah. I mean, I'm not really afraid of these teams, but if we continue to play dumb against them, then, of course, it's not going to end up how we want to. Absolutely. Yep. Um, just to call back quickly, um, with that win over the Capitals um, the other day, the Wild finished um, – I tweeted this out, got a lot of traction – uh, the Wild finished 14-0-2 against the Metropolitan Division this year. The overtime loss to Pittsburgh and the shootout loss to Columbus. Their only losses, I believe the goal differential was like 60, 60 to 33, I think. 
um, <laughs> in those 16 games. So yeah. just complete domination of the Metro division. Um, I don't know the stats of their divisions. That one, I just, I knew the wild that had done good against those teams. So I pulled that, but yeah, I think overall, I think you, you, you throw that game out, you know, it's your first regulation mm-hmm. loss in 11 games. What do you freaking do? Um, right. you go out and you, I mean, I think it, it was pointed out. I think the wild could from last night's game on could finish like seven and seven yeah. and still hit 50 wins and a hundred points. Like they're, yeah. they're in a good spot. I think, you know, just don't, don't read too much into it. You know, go out, re- recoup, enjoy the couple days off team bonding, get back with it, at, uh, you know, in St. Louis and, and, and get back on track again. Yeah. You brought up what I was going to bring up, but uh, wouldn't that be our first 51 season in franchise history? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, so I think they maybe at a 49 get, or 48 yeah. somewhere in there, but yeah, yeah never 50. Yeah, it was 16, 17, it was 49. Yeah. Oh, and uh, also, I don't know, we didn't say it, but happy belated birthday to Baldy. What a place to spend your 21st birthday in Nashville. That place is fun <laughs> as hell. <laughs> Guarantee he's huh? maybe a hair hungover today. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, hoping that uh, he's back out on the ice again soon yes, um, as good. well. Um. Shifting focus here, I did want to talk a little bit about a player we talked about. I think it was on last week's pod, um, Alex Goligoski. Um, We talked about, you know, just kind of not, you know, maybe completely seeing where the extension came from. But one thing that we said we were going to kind of be watching closely was kind of how he responded to being moved down to the third pairing. Um, and those of you who, who keep tabs on my Twitter, um, well, I've seen this stat kind of come out today. But I just kind of pulled um, Goligoski's stats. And basically the last five games, so the games where he's kind of been on that third pair. So going back to March 24th against Vancouver. So the game's Vancouver, Columbus, Carolina, Washington, Nashville. Um, Alex Goligoski is a plus six within an assist in those games. Zero goals against a 62.7% expected goal share, plus eight on the shot differential, plus nine on the scoring chance differential, and plus 10 on the high danger chances differential at five on five. This averaging, I think it's like 15 and a half minutes a night. Um, at five on five, like he's been very good on that third pairing. And it really hasn't mattered if that's been with Merrill or Kulikov, whatever you've stuck him with on that third pair. He just, he really seems to be a much more effective player, you know, not necessarily directly under the score sheet, but definitely a guy, you know, we've talked about his ability to get the puck up ice, you know, have those offensive inclinations to, to make plays out of the zone and and get things going the other way. Um, so it's been great to see him, you know, not necessarily take offense to Jake Middleton kind of taking his spot, but instead kind of embracing it, taking that extension, embracing a new role and, and thriving in it. Um, which I think again, just goes to show the maturity of some of these players and, and for a veteran, you know, to, to you know, lose a spot to a guy that's played 60 games this year or in his career, basically. Um, and to come out and just really, really show up and play very well and kind of stabilize what's been an up and down third pairing for the wild this year. Yeah. I mean, he's really fit in on that third line. Well, it's, it's, we always, I mean, with the Middleton tra- trade, God, I can't speak right now. We we knew that he played with Burns and, and Carlson, and there was a, a good chance that he was going to end up playing with Spurgeon and then Brody and Dunbar already together, so that puts him on the third line. And um, I don't know if people realize, but he has, the at the moment, the single-season franchise record for the plus-minus, which take that for what you will for that stat, but he's a plus 37 this year total. I mean, he's he's effective. He's... He's been out there for 37 more goals than goals given against. So yeah. to have that stability on your third line is is pretty awesome. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think, uh, you know, if I remember, I think we talked about this last week too, uh, similarly, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of comments on why are you extending a guy who's going to be on your third pair or maybe not even the lineup at all. But, I mean, you know, with all the stats that Brett that you posted just mentioned, I mean, if you're paying $2 bucks a year for you know a, a guy who can play in a third pair and who you know brings what he does offensively uh you know it's pretty it seems like a pretty good value deal instead of having to you know go out this summer and find a replacement and get into bidding wars so yeah no uh, it's uh, it's not to, i guess it's probably not really a huge surprise uh, that you know maybe that rest or a little less of the load has rejuvenated his game a little bit yeah, and I think that's, for me, it's kind of been the two key factors is they've been able to manage his ice time a little bit, stay a little bit fresher with those older veteran legs. But also, I think, you know, he's getting a little bit of the easier matchups, um, too. You know, he's getting he's getting third, fourth lines, but he's not playing down to those competitions. He's he's taking it, running with it. Um, 
and, and outplaying those guys and helping to create offense at the other end and, and sustaining time in the offensive zone um, as well. So great to see that. Hoping that continues. Obviously, a five-game sample is small, but that's all we have really of him kind of since being demoted. Um, and there was kind of some games where he was moved around too. Um, when he's in the third pair, he seems to have overall done pretty well. Um, so good there. Um, the next topic, which we're going to spin it wild related, but obviously the hot topic, if you've been on hockey Twitter these past week or so, oh has been the heart conversation. And if it should be Matthews or, you know, are we, can we consider both McDavid and Dreisaitl? You know, is this the year Igor Shesterkin, um in New York, a goalie wins it for the first time in a long time. Um, you know, is it a Roman Yossi who, uh, by the way, has put up um, in three games against the Wild this year, four points, four points, three points, I believe. Um, <laughs> 11 points against the Wild in, in, in nine periods. So, um, But he's not just enough to the Wild. Like, Zeke, as you mentioned earlier, you know, on pace for points. to be you know, the, 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 the first 100-point defenseman, I think, since like 1993. Or something crazy like that. That's so um, there's a lot of names being thrown around, but Zeke, one that you had had thrown out on Twitter was one of our very own Kirill Kaprizov, and and you know him deserving to be in the heart conversation. So why don't we kind of turn it over to you and just kind of you know have you expand a little bit beyond your your one your 240 character tweet and just kind of ma- make your case for for Kirill Kaprizov, um, you know, being in the heart conversation, and we can kind of discuss. Yeah. Um, where we think he might fit among some of these other names that are kind of in the mix right now. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, obviously preface it by saying, you know, there's probably obviously going to be a little bias just like there is with any fan with players on the team and whatnot. But, I mean, it, I mean, I don't know. If you just look at it purely, obviously, at the numbers so far, just to start there, 68 games, 40 goals, 47 assists, you know, franchise record in points, going to be probably franchise record in goals easily, maybe even 50 of the time the year's done, could catch 100 points. And I mean, obviously you could, you know, you could cherry pick this with a lot of guys in the league and a lot of different teams that, you know, without this certain player on the team, you know, where would they be or, or, you know, what has, you can use a lot of different things to measure. And obviously, you know, points isn't the only thing as, you know, we've maybe wanted to, as compared to some people, obviously like NHL.com who voted Jonathan Huberto as their MVP about a month ago. So solely by the fact that he he gets a lot of points, but. Yeah, so obviously we don't want to use just that, <laughs> but I don't know. I think, again, it might be biased, but it just seems that, you know, from the second that, uh, you know, he came here, obviously, last year, we all know the, just the pure impact that he's had on the rest of the team. And obviously there have been other pieces the way that, you know, Bill Grant has shaped his team that have made it fresh and different, but I think none of it is possible without Kaprizov. Like, you know, he has, obviously he's a great player, but he plays, you know, he's always he's got a smile on his face. He has that swagger, you know, he, you know, he just wants to win, you know, you know, obviously he'd like to score, but whenever he's asked about that, he's, you know, always, always go, well, you know, the winning first, if I score great, but I just think that, you know, without him, that none of what the, you know, the wild are possible. I mean, look at his line, Ryan Hartman, who has been a solid player in the NHL up until this year, you know, had seven and nine goals in those first two years of the wild and had a career high at 19, like four years ago. And, you know, Albini's been great, but this year on, as the center on his line, he has 27 goals and 53 points, and is probably going to be a 30-goal scorer this year. And even Matt Zuccarello, who has been, you know, a very solid top six player in his career, all of a sudden has 71 points in 61 games as, you know, one of the top 25 scorers in the league. So yeah, who, I think who just in the past that, has played with guys like Chris Kreider and Mika Zibanejad, uh-huh. like guys who are very good yes. NHL players, guys that are very good goal scorers, um, and yeah, he's just, I mean, these guys are, they're not just like surpassing career highs. They are shattering them. Mashing. Yes, they are. And, you know, I think that's, you know, a, a key to look at when considering the heart trophy, because uh, as we know, a lot of people can get that confused where, you know, it's not meant technically supposed to be the best player. It's, you know, it's by definition supposed to be obviously player most valuable to his team. And I think, you know, just to end it, I think, you know, you can obviously go a lot of different ways. There's, you know, the, there hasn't been this many. I think I saw that there's, you know, last year there was like 20, 100 point scores, and this year there's on pace to be like, or other point per game, and this year there's on pace to be 45, nearly doubling. So a lot of I guys think are there's scoring. like there's, six or seven players, I think, pushing for 50 yeah. goals a normal year. I think it's like it's insane. Sometimes one, maybe two or three. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I think it's, you, you can make an argument for a lot of guys, obviously. You know, I think it's, 
fair to say that Austin Matthews is probably going to be the winner, especially, I mean, if he puts up 60 goals, he's going to deserve it. But I think that just my point of the tweet was that it seems like just obviously, you know, we watch him every day, but everything he's done for this team, I just, uh, you know, I've never, you haven't really even seen his name in many articles come up as even an honorable mention. And I think he uh, just, you know, just, I just think he just deserves to at least be, uh, you know, brought up or, you know, discussed about maybe not as, as not as the winner and maybe not even as a finalist, but I certainly think he should be, he is in that mix of guys with, you know, with the Matthews, with the Johnny Goudreau, with the Kale McCarr and all those guys, you know, maybe a step low, but I think he, uh, you know, I think he deserves to be at least talked about. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I mean, you know, we don't, we want to use points as necessarily like the deciding factor and yeah. that, you know, when you're comparatively wide, but if you look at the wild lineup specifically, he's 16th, 16 points clear of the next closest player in Zuccarello. Cruella's 87, Zuccarello's 71. And then a full uh, 26 points clear of Kevin Fiala, who's in third on the team with 61 points. Like, you're telling me if you don't, if you take Kirill Kaprizov out of this lineup, I don't, you know, I don't think Hartman and, you know, even if you stuck Fiala and Kaprizov's by, I don't think those guys are putting up the points that they are without Kirill there. We know Zuccarello isn't, right? Like, we know they elevate each other's game. But I just think when you look at, you know, Zeke, as you mentioned, by definition of what the award is of the of the player deemed to be most valuable to his team, um, I think Kaprizov is absolutely that for the Wild, and I would and I would think in terms of relative to his team, I think he's in my top five. With I think I, not in any particular order, but for me, it would be Matthews, Kaprizov, Shesterkin, Yossi, and Johnny Gujo are probably like my top five players. I think have been. Mm-hmm most impactful to their teams and then you know Barkov's probably in there McDavid's probably in there as well but um you know Uberdo and Marner and Dreisel also guys that feel like they could maybe shoulder some of that weight if one of those guys were to get hurt in a way that I don't think a Zuccarello or a Hartman or a Fiala might be able to if if Kirill went down so yeah I think that the case is absolutely there for him to be in the consideration um I think he's top five for me um, I think it really depends on where this team goes kind of down the stretch to, to where he finishes within that top five. But I think for me, he deserves to be in that top five conversation for sure. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I don't have much to add kind of going down a rabbit hole, but just all the big goals, big assists he's has, it seems like a lot of them overtime, game time, or a, a big goal that gets us going. Uh, he's turned this team from maybe <laughs> not him personally, but a, a lot of it has to do with him maybe one of the most boring teams to one of the most exciting teams to watch. And and like you mentioned, Brett, a lot of these guys take it for what you will. They have a guy that could elevate where they couldn't like McDavid has dry side all vice versa. Goudreau has a guy, Matthew Kachuk, who's, I mean, mid eighties in points. Huberto got Barkov Matthews. I mean, we all know what he's doing, but, and then, of course, Yossi, we all know what he's doing. I'd, I'd have to say, in my opinion, Kaprizov is top three in, in my books. But uh, a little bit of bias there. But, I, yeah, you guys, I, I can't really say much more than what you have. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but you, you mentioned the, the big clutch goals. I mean, I think Russo, it's been, he tweeted a few times that he's, you know, third in points when his team is trailing, you know, behind Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, which is, you know, Mm-hmm. But as you mentioned, just a little bit more to that clutch element. But yeah, no, I think... Uh, but but I, to I, me, too, it's kind of like with, with the goalie pulse. It's a little bit of a cherry pick stat because I think yeah, some of those other teams, the, the Floridas, the Torontos, are not playing from behind as often because they are getting out to the lead. Um, so mm-hmm. it's it's a tri- it's a good stat to have, obviously. Dude. Yeah, that's true. You mm-hmm. know, when you are down, you are scoring. But, I, I you know, it is to how many times mm-hmm. did... I think to, to make a fair argument is how many times those other players maybe score at, you know if it was a zero zero game or a one, one game, I think you had kind of to factor both situations in yeah. too, because you're not good teams necessarily like the wild, what they've done coming from behind this year is like obviously been historic and that's been documented. But um, yeah. yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see kind of where the voting ends up this year, just across the board. Cause I think there's a lot of yeah. options and I'm really curious to say, to see what the voters put the value on um, this year when it comes down to, is it, is it goals? Is it, you know, in Chesterkin's case, is it, you know, a, a goalie that are carrying his team to success for, you know, half the season, basically. Um, what have you. It'll be interesting to see. But um, I think, yeah, Zeke, as you mentioned, the, the long story shows, I think Kaprizov deserves to be in that conversation for sure. Um, but, yeah, I think 
you know, we've, we're at a pretty good time tonight. We had maybe a, a final segment to do, but I think we might save that um, for another time. Uh, maybe do a little more preparation for it. I'm almost bored because I think it'll be a, a segment you all enjoy. So maybe we'll table that to next week or somewhere down the road when things slow down just a hair. Um, but I think this is a good place to end today's show. Um, so just before we kind of wrap up and, and sign off, do you guys, either of you have any any final thoughts um, as we head into a weekend that we'll see the Wild play the Blues on Friday, the LA Kings on Sunday, and then Edmonton Oilers on Tuesday? Well, I guess what <clears throat> my final thought is uh, tomorrow's – tomorrow? Yep. Friday. Yeah, Friday. Or the, the day we play the Blues, it's going to be a huge <laughs> game. The Blues, <laughs> they're up 3-1 to one on the Kraken. If they end up winning, they'll be one point behind us. They'll be able to jump us if they beat us. So, a uh, huge game. Huge game there. And then uh, the schedule kind of lightens up, but uh, you certainly want that four-point swing to go out in our favor. Yeah, no, I think um, I obviously agree. I mean, like you know, like you brought mentioned, the next five games, all playoff teams, as you said, St. Louis twice, Dallas, LA, and Edmonton. You know, all teams who are, you know, aside from Dallas, top three in the division are knocking on the door. So I, you know, and as you said, Justin, after that, it's a little lighter. So, you know, if they, I obviously, I think, you know, you know, if you, if they win at least three out of the five, that would be ideal. But uh, if they, you know, if they can take care of business and really, you know, take it to some of these teams and, you know when you know maybe four of those five games or something or get eight of the ten points they can really you know start to put some distance with each other and make it you know even harder for teams like st louis and nashville to catch them but i mean hey it'll be uh it's obviously going to be fun to you know you know these games mean anything but at the same time obviously hopefully uh we get to a point uh, sooner where games maybe don't uh mean as much as they uh maybe would but yeah no it'll be a it's just, you know, like like we say all the time, just enjoy it. Obviously, you know, a lot of times people go, well, what if they play Nashville or St. Louis in the playoffs? How is that going to go well? Which, you know, true, but at the same time, as we always say, uh, you know, enjoy how this team is playing. Uh, it should be, uh, obviously, it should, it's going to be uh, interesting either way to see uh, how the seeding for the playoffs and all that works out. Yeah, Zeke, I think the thing for me um, that I'll be watching is, you know, Obviously, yes, it'd be good to win some of these games, but for me, is is how how are they playing? Right? Are they still doing the right things? You know, is, are they losing because they're getting badly outplayed? Are they losing because of some bad puck luck? You know, is it the penalty kill again? Just kind of analyzing like more of the why of what happens in these games versus the actual mm-hmm. results. Um, but I think, like you said, if they can take three of these next five, get into that little softer portion, bank a couple more, kind of lock down that spot, that home ice, and then you know maybe if to not have to be chaotic, you know, finishing the season, um, Calgary, Colorado, and, you know, fighting for your life for a, for a home ice advantage in those games, I think would be good. I mean, if you can give yourself the opportunity to rotate in a, a Connor Dewar, a Nick Bukestad, or a Kalen Addison, or just, you know, some of these younger guys, a Ben, a Ben Myers, if, if that happens, mm-hmm. and just to give maybe some of these other guys a day off, let bodies heal. Um, you know, Dumba's hurt, Boldy's hurt, Merrill's hurt. Um, We've seen guys like Jake Middleton and Marcus Foligno kind of be banged up over these last couple of games too. So obviously you know, this team for sure isn't playing at 100% full health too, right? So just being able, I think, just to kind of win some games, bag a couple, get yourself in a comfortable position where you can rest guys, get guys healthy, um, different things like that. So um, no word yet on if we'll see John Merrill, Jordy Ben, or Kalen Addison um, taking the spot of, of, John, of uh, Matt Dumba. Um, but definitely a story to watch. Obviously, we'd all prefer it to be. I mean, I think ideally it's John Merrill if he gets back he- he- healthy. Um, but if it comes down to, to Addison or, Mer- or uh, Ben, hoping it's Addison. Not holding my breath on that one as he is playing tonight. So you would think he'd maybe have been on, on the trip um, if that was the case. But doesn't seem to be that way. So, um, Justin, do you have uh, do you have any final thoughts here at all? Yeah, I kind of get with the Blues thing, but uh, one thing worth mentioning, give me one sec here, I'm getting to it. Uh, Rossi's one point away from tying the record for Iowa points. He got an assist, uh, two to one after one period of play, so be keeping an eye on that as well. So. Damn. I'm so excited for Marco Rossi Calder Trophy next year. Um, <laughs> it's going to be great, um, dishing it to Matt Boldy for, for yeah, goals and whoever else is that wing yeah. hopefully fiala but if it's a tyson jost or, or somebody else yeah. um should be cool 
You have to um, bet on that in Vegas. <laughs> it would be a, it, yeah. If, if you could, if you can put money on Mar- Marco Rossi for the Calder for next year, I would, I would definitely do that. I don't know what the rookie class looks like right now, but I know it's definitely not going to be as strong as this year's class. So I would, mm-hmm. I, I would do that if it were me. Um, yeah. So I think this is a good place to wrap up. So uh, Justin, why don't you remind everyone where they can find uh, you and all of your work? You can find me at DE2004. You can find me at Kaprizov C with the Kaprizov Countdown. And you can find me at MNW Prospects with MNW Young Guns. Zeke. Uh, you know, yeah, as usual, you can find me uh, on Twitter uh, at ZekeBlatt to uh, follow all my tweets, thoughts, uh, links to podcasts everywhere. You can find it there. All right. And you can find me, as always, on Twitter at B underscore Marsh 92. Be sure you are following the podcast account as well at Sound the Foghorn. All one word, both on Twitter and Instagram. The Wild wrap up a four game road trip in St. Louis on Friday night before returning home for a couple Pacific Division rivals in LA and Edmonton. Those are the three games on tap before we are back with you again next Wednesday. But until then, this has been another episode of Sound the Foghorn.